never met me. Uh, my name is Manny. I'm one of the pastors here, and I've got so much on this table, I'm afraid I might knock things off. And so let's see how I do this. Um, but this past few weeks, we have been engaged in a series called Prayer. And it's, it hasn't just been like the pastors get together and like, hey, what's, what should we talk about? Prayer. Or let's, you know, um, you know rock, paper, scissors. Okay, let's do this. Um, we've actually, the, the community has been sensing this, this like pull to be with Jesus. And that, that we can build great churches with great programs, but if, if we don't lean into the Spirit of God, then it's just an organization. It's not a living organism. And so we don't know what the end result will be, but we do know that we want to lean into the Spirit and to be with Jesus, to talk with Jesus, to walk with Jesus, to, 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 to sense what He wants this community to, to champion in this next season. Uh, and so we have been in, in a series called Prayer. And so two weeks ago, we talked about prayer as talking with the God that we know. And last week, we talked about prayer as talking with the God who what? Listens. And this morning, the talk is titled Prayer, Being with the God Who Loves. Prayer is not just get on your knees, put your hands together, and say a few nice things, or um, God, thank you for the food. Amen. Prayer looks very different. It's diverse, and we will see that through the talk today. So my thesis for this morning, or the big, the big idea is, it's being with to become like. It's only in being with Jesus that we become like Jesus. Let me say it again. In fact, can you say this with me? It's only in being with Jesus that we become like Jesus. Does that sound good? Yeah. All right. So our opening passage for this morning is found in Revelation chapter 3, 1 until 2. I, I had a different passage, which was a lot lovelier and cuter. But I decided to go with a passage that, you know, was a little bit more uh, rough around the edges. And you'll see why. So can you please stand for the reading of God's Word, if you're able to? Here's what it says, and you can read with me. I know all the things you do, and that you have a reputation for being alive. But you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what little remains, for, what, for even what is left is almost dead. I want to say it again, and I want to say it slower. I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation for being alive. But you're dead. Wake up. Strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. What a lovely passage. If you thought, man, I want to come to church today and feel alive, it's like, you're dead. <laughs> I, I came across these um, pictures uh, not that long ago, and, uh, and, and I kept them on my phone, but I want to just share this with you. Uh, these pictures put, put uh, people into two categories, into two categories, uh, into type A and type B. Now, let's look at it together. 
type A is, oh my gosh, I need to fill up, and your gas tank is like three quarters full. Type B is, you're on fumes, but you're like, I got this. Now, if this isn't clear, let me, let me go to the next, next uh, slide. So this is what type A says. It's on E. No, you can't. No, you can't, right? This is what type B says. It's fine. I know my car. And it's not even on empty. It's like <laughs> way below empty. Now, now let, me, let me ask you a question. Which one are you? Okay, you know what? Let's do this um, in an organized fashion. If you're type A, raise your hands. Okay, oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. Uh, go, go back to the first slide. Okay, if you're type B, raise your hands. Oh, man. Living on the edge, take my hands. Right, you're living on the edge. Whew, you must have great faith. <laughs> You know, this just two categories. I'm sure some of y'all are like, uh-uh, you, you did not raise your hands, and you're like, um, I don't fit in, in either of these categories. I've got a Tesla. <laughs> I charge. <laughs> but I guess Teslas could also stop, too. But if we had to be honest, I know this is funny, but if we had to be honest, our spiritual lives aren't that different from our cars. In fact, uh, some of us see the gas light turn on and we start singing, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. It's going to keep on shining until uh, AAA gets here. But I chose this passage because Jesus talks to the church in Sardis in the book of Revelation, which is kind of a mysterious book. And he says some really difficult words. He says, look, I know everything about you, and people think you're alive. You sing great songs during worship. You even break out into three-part harmonies. You do ministry, and people see you coming, and they're like, wow, this guy's a, or this, this gal's a, you know, they're, they're a Jesus follower. They're just doing it right. You know, you carry your Bible where, wherever you go. It's just like you look the part. It's a nice car, but you're on fumes. You're running on empty. You're lifeless. And then he says, what's up? What's going on? Wake up. It's not about looking good. It's not about doing things for me. It's about being with me. You believe the right things, but your faith, I mean, your life isn't fruitful. You're not bearing the kind of fruit that God desires. Now, it's obvious that living uh, fruitlessly, a Christian life that's, that's fruitless, uh, is not what God desires. That the Christian life that runs on empty is actually a religion of checking off boxes. To either please a God of our own understandings, or to pacify our own consciences, right? Like, I know God made us in His image, but sometimes we make God into our image. And it's like, if your God looks like you and thinks like you, then it's a God that's made in your image. But if, if it's a God who loves you and also corrects you and inspires you, but also convicts you, it's, it's probably the God that's close, closer to the Bible. 
What I think is probably the saddest thing isn't that um, that we run on empty. I, I think, for me personally, this isn't gospel, but it's 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 actually growing accustomed to living on empty. Because we start filling in the religious life with willpower, with outward decorations of, um, of spirituality. And people think that, you know, like it happens with pastors too. Oh, yeah, just because he's a pastor, he prays every day. Or she, 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 she teaches, so she must meditate on Scripture every day. I mean, you're hoping that, that we do. But it's a struggle for all of us. It's easy to do ministry without being connected to Jesus, without being with the God who loves. And what happens is ministry becomes misery over time, and what's supposed to be a blessing becomes a burden. And so you hear all these people de deconstructing, and it's like, Jesus doesn't work for me anymore. Interesting. Why? Because it's only in being with Jesus. It's only in being with Jesus that we become like Jesus. It's only with being with the God who loves that we become like the God who loves us. This is why this series on prayer is not only important, but it's necessary. And we've got to talk about it. In the Gospel according to John, Jesus gives us this picture metaphor to describe and to use uh, this idea of the vine to talk about being with God and being with the God who loves. And so why it's deeply necessary so that we move from living life on empty into living in the fullness of life connected to, to Jesus. So let's read our main passage for today. It comes from John and this is what Jesus says. You ready? Let's do this. He says, I am the true grapevine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do not bear fruit. So they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you, by my words. So, remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask anything you want and it will be granted. Hmm. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me, says Jesus. So therefore, remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy 
will overflow. Wow. Jesus says, listen, my father has a vineyard, and I am the gardener. I, and my father's the gardener. I am the vine. My father's the gardener. The vineyard belongs to the Trinity, right? And so, uh, but I am the true vine. And branches don't make fruit happen on their own. The vine does. Even though the fruit appears on the branch, Jesus says, it's the vine that's the source of the fruit that shows up on the branches. Interesting. Wow. What he's saying is, if you're not connected to the source, you will never produce fruit. It doesn't matter how good you look, how nice you smell, how many Bible passages you've memorized that you Bible thump. It does not matter how well you sing the songs in three-part harmony, but if you are not, are not hanging out with Jesus, you're not with the God who loves, then you're not shaped into the God who loves. And what happens is you're disconnected. So what do you do? You go from relationship to religion. You go from the God who works in us and through us to you pushing your religious cart uphill by yourself. And when things don't work out, gosh, this isn't working. You're discontent. You come to church, you try to do all the right things, but it's just like, it's still not enough. And even though you're saved, but there's no life. And we just read in Revelation, it's like what remains is dying. It's because we have not intentionally tapped into the vine. We are not with the God who loves. We are not with Jesus. We have become our own vines. Right? And we're not producing fruit. And the things that we do produce aren't that tasty. Hmm. Because it's only in being with Jesus that we become like Jesus. It's with being with the God who loves that makes our lives beautiful and fruitful. That by ourselves, apart from Jesus, he says, you can do nothing. Now, before we move forward, um, could I get into some, like, some context? Because the Bible paints pictures and metaphors, and sometimes it can get lost. We can read them with, you know, 2023 lenses. But it, it'll help us to look at why Jesus even uses a metaphor of the vineyard. So, could I do that? Could I get into some context? Okay. So, this is a good time to get your note cards because um, I'm just going to pack a lot in a little bit amount of time. So, here we go. In the, in the Gospel of John, uh, there are seven I am statements. And uh, I am statements are really important. There's, there's seven of them in the Gospel of John. Right? And Jesus makes these I am statements to describe his divine identity, his relationship with the God of Israel, and his missional purpose, right? So that's why he uses these I am statements. So what are the I am statements? I'm so glad you asked. Let me tell you what they are. So the first one is, I am the bread of life, John 6:35. The second is, I am the light of the world, 8:12. The third one is, I am the door, Third is, I am the good shepherd. The fifth, I am the resurrection and the life. This, the, and then the next one, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the last one, which is the one that we are tapping into, pun intended, I am the true vine. Found in John 15, 1. I am 
the true vine. Now, why does Jesus start um, talking about himself as the true vine? Why doesn't he just say, hey, just be with me and everything, you know, will be amazing? <laughs> why doesn't he say that? Why does he bring this metaphor of I am the vine? And then why does he say I am the true vine? And that means, wait, is there, are there other vines? Now, this isn't the only time in the Bible that a picture metaphor of a vine or vineyard is used. Um, in fact, in, in the Old Testament, a vineyard or a vine was used many times to describe Israel, the people of God. And almost all of those times, it wasn't used in a flattering way. It came with judgment. It was actually a negative image. So Jesus is using this picture of the vine, and he's flipping the image upside down, and he's saying, wait a minute. No, no, no. I am the true vine to distinguish himself from being part of Israel. Now, this doesn't mean that his covenant with Israel is gone or that the church somehow supersedes that. That's bad theology. But Jesus is saying what Adam was supposed to be, Adam and Eve's vocation was to reflect the glory of God into the earth and to cause the earth to flourish and to tend to the animals and to take what was in the garden and to expand it to the rest of the earth, to be image-bearing, image-bearers, mirrors of God, bringing God's goodness into the world. They failed. And then Israel, who was chosen because of this man, Abraham, in the Bible, who's faithful to God, and God said, from you, I will, what? I'm going to multiply and a nation will come out of you. And Jesus is, is what? The promised one. And so, and then he says, well, Israel, the vine, you fail too. You were supposed to be a light to the nations. You were, you were supposed to cause the world and all the nations to flourish you rejected me, and you chose a king instead, and everything went downhill. Even being tapped into the people of God, even that did not work. So Jesus says, he shows up and says, I am the true vine. Like a vineyard that doesn't produce fruit, you are a fruitless vine. He's telling Israel that you are a fruitless vine. You've been unable to produce fruit in your life on your own. You have tried for centuries to be a light to the nations, to be a people that represent my glory and my goodness for the flourishing of the world. But you have not done that. You failed, and you failed miserably. But don't worry. Don't worry. I am the true vine, and I got this. Don't worry. You don't have to push your spiritual cart up the hill by yourself. I got this. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You don't have to jump into religion and do good things to please a God that looks more like you than it does like the Bible. I got this. All you have to do is remain in me. That's all. No more sacrifices. The, the temple system and the sacrificial system and the, and the festivals and the feasts, all these things are important and they're, so, they're supposed to keep us, give us rhythm so that we grow closer to God. But when when practices and disciplines and these things end up replacing being with God, they become an end to themselves. What happens is we move from relationship to religion, and it goes back from the strength that Jesus gives us to willpower that we have to produce to be righteous. And it becomes very taxing. And I understand why some people would jump ship and say, I'll just be agnostic. This hasn't worked. It's because you haven't worked it the right way. 
In fact, you've worked it, and it wasn't Jesus working it through you. You didn't tap into the vine. So Jesus says, I'm the true vine. I got this. I'm the one that can bring life into your death situation. I am the one that will bear fruit because branches don't bear fruit by themselves. It's the vine. Nowhere in this passage in John does it say your job is to bear fruit. Did you notice that? Nowhere in the passage does it say it is your job to bear fruit. Bearing fruit is a result. Your job is just to remain in me. Our job is to be with the God who loves. That's it. One job. One job alone. Remain in me. So that we can be like the God who loves. Now, to bear spiritual fruit, we need to stay connected to the root. It's kind of, it rhymes. To bear spiritual fruit, we need to be connected to the root. What good is your striving, what good is your, will your willpower without being connected to the vine? It can't do anything on its own. Jesus is telling his, his, his disciples to, uh, to kind of re rethink this whole saved business, to rethink this whole idea of, of what is it that makes you the people of God. He's, he's throwing a, a, a theological nuclear bomb into their, their uh, theological framework. He says, I am the true vine. Israel no longer, it, it's failed. And they have to kind of wrestle with what this means throughout the following days and weeks. Now, it's interesting. Because Jesus has stepped in, because we could not do it for ourselves. So, now, I know, I know what it means for Israel. Now, what does it mean for you and I? This also means that it's not Christianity that saves you. Just like it wasn't being part of Israel that saved us. Because Israel failed. They strived. They did their best. And God knew that. It's not, it's not uh, being a member of a particular denomination that saves you. It's not even having the right beliefs about God that saves you. Although the, I mean, all these things are important. In no way am I saying these things are not important. But when we take these, these things that are supposed to be guardrails and we make them about the thing, and it doesn't become about the vine, being with the God who loves, then what happens is it goes back from relationship. It goes from, fruitless, uh, from fruitfulness to fruitlessness. We keep on going into our carnal nature and to make it about us. Where Jesus says, I am. Which, by the way, the, 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 the whole I am, um, the whole statement actually comes from, from God talking to Moses and saying, so who will I say that sent, is sending me? He says, well, I am the one who is. Or I am that I am. So Jesus is using his father's language and saying, hey, I'm the same God of the Old Testament. I'm the same God that was on Mount Sinai. I'm the same God that was with you in the desert. I'm the same God that liberated you because Jesus is Yahweh Yeshua, Yeshua, the God who saves. And they're trying to figure it out. Wow. Now, why is this important? It's only in being with Jesus that we become like Jesus. Today's individualism and our consumerist culture tells us we don't need to be a part of the vine. That you have your own spirituality. 
your pot, you're planted in your pot, and it's just you and Jesus alone. But you're not tapped into the vine. So are you really with Jesus? We're not pots isolated from the vine. We have to be connected to the vine. And a big part of that is connected to the body of Christ. But we keep on going back to individualism because that is the culture, that is the, um, the ethic of our day. But it's really interesting that we move from God's power to our own power. Now, here's a question. In the grape-growing business, what good is a branch that breaks away? It's not really good. It doesn't really work. In the Old Testament, uh, pruning when God talks about pruning, it was actually like cutting off. And Israel goes into exile, and really bad things happen. Is because they ended up worshiping other gods. They brought other gods into the sanctuary, in, into the temple. They basically were committing adultery with the God that loved them. It's like you love somebody, but they don't love you back. It hurts. But what happens is like you end up being shaped by the thing that you the thing that you're consumed with what you feed on is what you start looking like that's just how it is and you hunger for what you feed on even more so but when jesus talks about pruning yeah the the father is the gardener and he's going to cut some things he's going to make things uncomfortable for us he's going to say hey 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 you know that 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 habit you got is doesn't produce life. I saved you from this. Why are you putting this back into your life? So he starts cutting. He starts pruning. But what's also interesting is, is pruning in the New Testament in this passage also means cleanse. Jesus says cleanse. Uh, a couple years ago, my wife Shanna and I, we uh, went to Napa Valley um, to enjoy the beautiful scenery and also the grapes and the wine up there. And, uh, and, we, and we did this wine tasting thing and we sat down in this vineyard. It was really beautiful. And, um, and this um, sommelier or a wine expert came up. But he, he gave us this, this picture of kind of how the vineyard works and how God's creation, how the ecosystem and how they're planted and how, how the whole thing is, right, the science and the art of winemaking. And it was so fascinating. He's like, this one is good with salmon. This one tastes like prunes, even though we didn't use prunes. I was like, oh, we can taste the prunes. Uh, hey, what's out over there? You know? Um, but I don't like prunes. But, uh, but it, was, it was really cool. And so we learned so much about the science. But, but he said something that really stuck with me. He, he said, the, the, the gardeners, they, they prune the, bra the, the branches uh, because sometimes they're, like the ones that are like all the way down below don't get the sunlight. And so, and then when the water, when they get watered, like... Uh, it gets kind of muddy, and so he says, so the, the gardener comes in, he or she, um, they cut some of the branches, and it hurts. He's like, it cuts the branches, but they also wash the branches and cleanse them so that they're able to photosynth photosynthesis, right, get energy from the sun so that it can produce more fruit, so that next year's harvest will be a lot more bountiful and plenty than this year's harvest. 
And he said, when the pruning happens, what happens is next year's harvest, actually the grapes become sweeter. Like, really? And here I am, like a pastor, thinking of theology all of a sudden. I'm like, oh, wow. But it makes sense. When God prunes you, it's because he loves you. When God brings things in our lives that hurt us sometimes, not harm us, but, but they cause us to make decisions, that it causes us to rethink a few things. It makes us uncomfortable. It's because He wants us to be sweeter. He wants us to bear more fruit. The gardener puts tension on the vine, on the branches, so that the branches become healthier. And yet, isn't it easy to just be mad at God because things aren't going our way? God, why did you allow this in my life? Now, I'm not saying God is the author of evil. But like a good gardener, God loves his vineyard. And you are in his vineyard. And I am in his vineyard. And he will do whatever he needs to do to cause his branches to bear more fruit. Interesting. So how do we do this? Well, there's four primary thoughts that I just want to give you. And at the end, there's four practical practices that I think we can, we can apply to our lives, like, like starting today, that can help us to be with the God who loves, that, that can help us to remain in Christ. But let's, let's talk about this. Here are the four. Remain, receive, respond, and reproduce. Let me say it again. We remain, which is being with Jesus. We receive to contemplate on his words. We respond, do what Jesus says. And we reproduce to be fruitful. Now let's, uh, let's uh, leave that up for a second so that people can write that. But the first one is remain. Remain. Be with Jesus. Here's what John 15, 4 says. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. We have one task. One task alone. And that's to remain in Jesus. That's it. But if we try to do this Christianity thing without remaining in the vine, again, I said miser uh, ministry turns into misery and blessings turn into burden. The Hebrew full definition for blessing, we have many definitions, but, but in the actual Hebrew, it's more like this. It's deep fulfillment leading to flourishing. That's kind of the Hebrew gist of the, the term blessing. Deep fulfillment that leads to flourishing. But it becomes a misery and it becomes a burden if we do it on our own strength. Here are some, some characteristics of doing Christianity without being in the vine. I, I, there's just a couple. Um, and, I, and I pulled this from um, Peter Scazzaro in his book called um, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It's this book right here. Uh, I, I was going through a dark season, and this book was so life-giving for me. And it really anchored me to Jesus. Um, and so we'll talk about that later. But here are some, some characteristics when we're not remaining in the vine. We focus on doing for God instead of being with God. We spiritualize away conflicts. There's conflict, we spiritualize it, and then we don't actually resolve it. We run away. 
We mask our brokenness, our weaknesses, and our failure with false spirituality. Hmm. We judge other people's spiritual journey. We do things in God's name that He never asks us to do. We, we say all the time, God told me to do it, but we probably should say, I think God told me to do it. We use the Bible to justify the sinful parts of our family, of our culture, and even our nation, instead of bringing all things under the lordship of Jesus. That is what we have to judge everything by. We lack the desire to know God through prayer and the reading of his word. But Jesus knows we can't do it without him. And here's the good news. We don't have to do it by ourselves. God has already made it possible. This, isn't, this is not in my notes, but I'll just tell you. John 14 talks about the Holy Spirit. John 16 talks about the Holy Spirit. End of John 15 talks about the Holy Spirit. John 1 through 11 talks about Jesus being the vine. Does that tell you something? This passage is sandwiched in the middle of chapters that are about the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that connects us to the vine who is Jesus. I want to read from Ephesians 1, 4 until 6. Now, uh, as I'm reading, look at this through the lens of vines and vineyards. Even before he made the world, God loved us and what? Chose us in Christ. Do you see that, the vineyard? In Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into what? His family, the vine, being part of the vineyard. By bringing us to himself. Do you see that? Into the vine. Through Jesus. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Did you know that you give God great pleasure? You being with Jesus and him choosing you before you even were aware of him gives God great pleasure. God is not looking at you like Zeus waiting to throw a lightning bolt every time you make the wrong move. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible draws you back to himself. Draws you back to himself. And he says, I take great pleasure. Now, he prunes you and he cleanses you so that you can bear more fruit. So, he doesn't leave you where you are, but he moves you to where you should be. But he loves you just where you are and just how you are. Not a future version of yourself. That you and I are chosen in Christ. Why? Because he is the vine. We are not individual pots planted in isolation, but God has brought us into his vineyard, and now you and I belong to Christ. The secret to living a beautiful and blessed, blessed, fulfilled, deep fulfilling, or uh, being uh, deeply fulfilled, and what? Flourishing. Blessed, a blessed life, and a life full of fruit is when we remain with Jesus. I'm going to hit that home so much that you walk away just thinking, be with Jesus, be with Jesus, be with Jesus, be with Jesus. Because that is the only way that our lives will flourish. When we remain in him, then we begin to receive his words and his teachings. Second point, receive to contemplate on his word. John 5, uh, 15, 7 says, But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, 
Ah, it's not just believing right things about Jesus, but it's also soaking in what he tells us. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 says, Then Jesus said, Come to me, come to me, all who are weary and heavy and, have, um, and, and carry heavy burdens. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, is light. Interesting. In the, in the old days, uh, a yoke was a piece of wood that tied two oxen together so they can plow. It's that thing that goes on their necks and they, and they, and they pull. But uh, rabbis used the yoke as, as a metaphor as well to talk about their teaching. It's not just a yoke that, I mean, it's, it's a yoke that, um, that binds us to Christ so that we have rhythm. We have rhythm. You know, when your heart is out of rhythm, you go to the doctor and they put a pacemaker to bring you back on rhythm. And Jesus is like, hey, you're out of rhythm. Come to me. You're carrying lots of burdens. You've been doing religion by yourself for so long. Come to me. I know you're tired. I know you're weary. I know that, that, that what you're doing is not enough. Is because it's all on you. Let me shoulder the weight. Let me carry your burdens, but I'm going to carry you. And I'm going to give you a light burden. It's light. It says, for what I give you is light. All you got to do is remain in me. And your, and your soul, your mind, your body, and your relationships, and, the, and your inner life, it'll all come together. You will find rest. You won't be out of whack, but remain in me. The yoke also means take my teaching upon you. Harbor what I say. That will give you life. It's not just doing things for me, but be with me that will cause your spiritual life to flourish. He says, you want peace? You want rest for your souls? You want rhythm? Take my teaching upon you. Because the Holy Spirit will use the words in the words of God in our life to produce fruit. When we remain in Him and we receive His words and His teachings, the Holy Spirit gives us the power to, and our third point is to respond by doing what Jesus says. John 15, 10 says, When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in His love. Why would we want to even step out of His love? Why would we want to do that? I don't know, maybe because we're human? Maybe because sometimes what we know in here doesn't connect with what should be in here? Maybe because, uh, like, if I do it myself, then I, I feel like I'm in control. I, I don't know about you, I'm, I'm a control freak sometimes. And, and sometimes when, when I feel like, oh, the, God, I can't trust you, I'm going to sabotage God's like, ah, just wait on me. Just wait on me. You're, just wait. I'm not a microwave. I'm not. Wait. Good wine doesn't come from microwaved grapes. Some of those vineyards have been around for hundreds of years. They're old. They've been worked on by the gardener for a long time, and we just want to be super spiritual all of a sudden in like five, five minutes? It doesn't work that way. James 1.22 says, but don't, li but don't 
just listen to God's word, you must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. We cannot do what Jesus says without the power of the Holy Spirit. It's only in being with Jesus that we become like Jesus. Galatians 5.25 says this, Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. When we harbor the words of Jesus within us, the Holy Spirit uses that to grow us and to groom us, to look like Jesus by being with the one who loves. Our fourth point, reproduce. How many of you, like, um, cheated at some point on a test in high school or... <laughs> I know I did. I, I, I cheated. I, I mean, it was a perfect scenario. My seat, my desk was, like, right next to this girl, and she was so smart. And during this test, I didn't study. Now, kids, don't do that. That's not... Just because I'm saying it, it's not... doesn't make it right. So I, I would lean over, and I would... But I didn't know she didn't study either that day because <laughs> I failed. <laughs> I... I failed. And so what good is it carbon, comp carbon copying something that's already broke? What good is it duplicating something that isn't working? You can't. You can't reproduce what is unhealthy. Jesus wants us to be healthy so that we can bear fruit. Interesting. How do we do that? Well, what does fruit look like? Let's talk about that. Um, Galatians 5.22 to 23 says this, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. A uh, spiritual writer um, and mystic and pastor uh, Eugene Peterson, who also translated the message version of the Bible. This is how he um, defines uh, the, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, affection for others. Joy, enthusiasm about life. Peace, serenity, and an internal security and confidence. Kindness, a sense of compassion in the heart. Goodness, the God-given disposition within us that permeates things and people. Faithfulness, involved in fidelity and loyal commitment. Gentleness, not needing to force our way of life, our way in life. Let me say it again. Gentleness, not needing to force our way in life. And self-control, the ability to mobilize and direct our energies wisely. Whew. How many of, of us would love to have the fruit of the Spirit in our lives and to, and to, and to produce these things? Amen. These are amazing. This is what Jesus wants from us. This is what God wants to bring out of our lives. Because when this happens, mission happens. Discipleship happens. Worship happens. Benevolence happens. Serving other people happens. This, if you don't have these things, you're, you're just doing religion, and you end up like making people mad around you. And they're like, oh, your God is like you. Oh, I don't want that. No, thank you. But when we have the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, like there's something different about you. You've got something that I don't have. What is, there's something unique about you. And people are drawn to Jesus in you because you have been with Jesus. And then they're like, wow, this person loves, and I'd never seen this kind of love before. 
in a world of, of lust and selfishness and greed and individualism and consumerism and what's in it for me, these people end up shining. Why? Because they're bearing fruit. 220 um, AD, there was a, a bishop by the name of um, St. Irenaeus, and this is what he says. I, I love this quote. Just 150 years after Jesus, he, he says, The glory of God is a human being fully alive. The glory of God is a human being fully alive. The glory of Rolex are their watches. The glory of Pablo Picasso and Van Gogh are his paintings. The glory of God is you and I fully alive. Not disconnected from the branch, but remaining in the branch, um, remaining in the vine. Being with Jesus, being with a God who loves. That is the only way that we become fully alive and we bear much fruit. So when we receive his words and we respond to them, our lives begin to bear fruit. And in doing so, we reflect the glory of God as human beings who are alive in Christ. Now, um, in, in the Midwest, um, they would find, I mean, in the 1700s, uh, they would find people um, during the spring, they would find people that were frozen to death and they, you know, like in the backyard, maybe several yards away from the back door. And they realized that the blizzards in the Midwest were so crazy, they were so bad, that, that they would leave from the back door to go to the outhouse or the, the bathroom, because uh, they weren't always in the, um, in the house, um, or they would go to the barn to get some food or whatever. And they, I know where it is, it's there. And the moment they step out into the blizzard, they, they get lost and they can't make their way back because they can't see anything and they would f freeze to death. So what, um, what farmers would do in the Midwest is they would tie ropes from the back door to the barn, from the back door to the outhouse. And what do you do? You remain on the rope. You hold the rope. Follow the rope. You do your business. You get the eggs or whatever. And then you follow the rope back, and you make it back safe and sound. These practices that I'm about to share with you, very briefly, they're like ropes. The rope isn't the destination. It's easy to make it about us again. The rope is not the end goal. The rope is to guide us and to keep us on track so that we can remain in Jesus, so we can be with the God who loves. I want to give you uh, four simple and uh, simple practices and disciplines that have been used by the church for centuries and even going back to the Old Testament. So can you just take this and just wave it real quick? All right. All right. So I want to get into this real quick. The first, commit to resting. You want to remain in Christ? You want to be um, connected to the root? The Sabbath is a it used to be a command for God's people. It is now an invitation into being with Jesus. God wants us to rest in Him as our physical bodies and our minds and our hearts are also resting in Him for a set period of time. You can choose Saturday or Friday, whatever your day off is, and you're like, okay, we're in a season where things are tough. Okay, then choose six hours, in like half a day. Put all your work down. Put your phone on, on silent. Rest. Read read scripture. Don't do any work. Be with family. Hang out with Jesus. Pray. Go for a walk. Go to the beach. 
rest. You might not be able to do it for a whole day. I, I, guess, I guess, you know, living in L.A. is kind of, kind of crazy. But, but what we can do is give two hours a week, six hours, and then you start growing. Then it's a full day. Bring the Sabbath as a discipline in, into your life because you intentionally uh, detach from other things and you attach yourself to the God who loves. The word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word that means cease or stop working. The, the Sabbath, the goal is to reorient our lives around the living God and around our relationships. It's right up there for the Jews. It was right up there with thou shalt not murder and thou shalt not, you know, uh, don't steal. But it's an invitation into a rested life. You can't be with Jesus if you don't have any margins. That's fact. You can't be with Jesus if you have margin. It doesn't matter how busy you are. If you value um, living a life that bears fruit, you have to make time. You have to make time. It, there's no other way. A life that trusts God and is devoted to Him, the Sabbath does that. We rely on Him. I'm giving you one day, and you'll take care of my life in the other six. The next one is um, commit to contemplation. This is an ancient practice. Its goal um, uh, isn't to learn knowledge about God, but to allow the, the Holy Spirit to saturate us with the words of God, the Scriptures. The goal is to commune with God through His Word and to let the Spirit use it to fill us with Scripture, to help us pray deeper prayers, to help us discover God, to help us discover ourselves and to shed light on areas that we need God the most. Commit to contemplation, meditating on Scripture. Here's, here's an example. You take Psalm, Psalm 23. You're like, okay, I'm, I'm, God, I'm going to give you 30 minutes. You know, the kids are crying or you got homework or whatever, right? God, I'm going to give you 30 minutes. You take Psalm 23. For example, the Lord is my shepherd. I will lack in nothing. He makes me rest in green pastures. He restores my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Yet even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. So you, you slow down. The Lord is my shepherd. God, you are my shepherd. God, if you're my shepherd, then I am your sheep. God, I'm, I've, been, I've been trying to find the greenest pasture on my own. God, thank you for being my shepherd. God, help me to water my lawn, the pasture, and not to find other pastures that seem greener because there's probably more manure. God, I need, I need rest. God, it says you restore my soul. I just feel really burdened right now, Lord. Ah, oh, he guides me. Where in my life do I need to be guided? I hate my boss, I hate my job. I'm just full of yucky stuff. God, help me to honor my boss, even though I don't like him or her. Help me to work unto you, God, in my, in my job. Help me to have a, a renewed vision. Lord, help me to be faithful. God, can you guide me? I've been, I'm saved, but I'm walking down different paths, and I just need to be on the right path. You're the shepherd, and I'm the sheep the valley of the shadow of death. Oh God, how are shadows made? Ah, oh, the sun. God, are you always shining even though there's a cloud above me? You slow down the passage and you let it speak to you and you fill 
your life with the words of God. And the Holy Spirit brings that to life. Are you with me? Um, another one. Um, commit to centering moments. This is, a, this is a great one. Because prayer could be so loose and so freeform, this is called the daily office. Um, committing to centering moments. And so, can you go to, to the picture? Um, this is on my phone. If you look at it, this, um, so uh, 6 a.m., it says, wakey, wakey. That's when I wake up. Uh, 9 o'clock, morning prayer. 12.30, noontime um, meditation. 3 o'clock, afternoon meditation. 10 p.m., evening prayer. Like, wow, you have so much time. No, no, no. I just take a minute or two. And it, it just reminds me. The daily office is you chunk your day. You, you break your day in sections. It's, it's how the monks and the monastics do spirituality. Uh, St. Benedict um, came up with this. It's fixed prayer. Where prayer could be loose and kind of, I pray, I just pray all the time. I sing worship songs in my car. No, but that's great. Do that. But this actually says, God, at 9 o'clock, I, before I go to work or while I'm at work or I put my bag down, I'm just going to take a minute. God, be with me today. Help me to reflect you in what I do. Lord Jesus, help me to be connected to you at work right now. And then at 12.30, you, you pause during your lunch break. You say, God, that client just really made me upset. I wanted to close his account so quickly. Or you're like, God, I, I didn't make any sales today. I don't know how I'm going to survive. Or maybe you thought, you thought wrong thoughts. Maybe that you, you were harboring envy or bitterness or maybe whatever. You bring from 9 o'clock to 12.30 all of your day into that moment and say, God, I give this to you. You bookmark it. And then the next one is 3 o'clock. You just touch base with God. God, it's been great from 12.30 until now. The lunch was good. Um, I forgot to bring my water, so I'm a little thirsty. But, um, but Lord, uh, I'm about to go into a meeting, God, and it's so boring. Will you be with me? Will you help me to, to not look like, you know, a grumpy person, but help me to be, help me to reflect you in this meeting at, at 3 o'clock. You see, you break down your day into chunks, and you bring... Jesus into your day. You carve out. I know that the last um, couple years has been so difficult for my wife and I because she was doing her master's and I was doing my master's and it, it took her two years. It took me five and a half years. You know, in most, most um, couples, you know, one has um, the beauty, one has the brains. She seems to have both. And, and so, and so our, our marriage was like really stressed. Every mammal in our house was in school. I think even our dog was in like dog school or something like that. But, but, but like doing our master's program full time and working full time and being a parent full time and trying to have, we had to carve out time for date nights. We had to spend time together. We had to say, let's just order uh, DoorDash and Netflix and hang out together. We, we had to do because we had to study. We were busy. And so the daily office does that too. I mean, my wife is super smart. Super, super smart, right? Um, and so, but even with her smartness and, you know, finishing her degree in two years and me in, in five and a half, uh, we had to do that because moments don't appear by themselves. We have to intentionally carve out time. And the last one, the last one is commit to community, worshiping together and joining a life group. This discipline is just, just be at church. See, you come to church, but you become the church. You join a life group. You share life together. This evening, we have a prayer night. We come, and we learn what it means to be with God. We do it together.
We create rhythms and rituals in our life that keep us grounded. Not because the rituals and the grounding saves us, it's because it points us to Jesus so that we could be with the God who loves us. Now, if you're like, hey, these are interesting for me, these, these uh, four practices, can I know more? And I want to know, like, some, some resources. Uh, just come and talk to me afterwards. Um, they, these things anchor us to Jesus. So why? So that our lives could look like the God who loves by remaining in Jesus. Can we stand together and pray? Gracious God, we thank you for giving us your spirit, so that we don't have to do this on our own. God, will you help us to adopt some, some practices, God, even this afternoon? God, will you help us to desire you enough to take steps forward towards you? Because you've already done that for us. You came to the earth. You live with us. <laughs> you showed us what it means to live with God the Father. You died and you resurrected and you gave us your Holy Spirit, and now your Spirit is in us and with us. Help us, God. Help us to be connected to you. Help us to desire you enough, God, to reorient our lives so that our lives could be fruitful, God, so that it's not just wanting to excel up the corporate ladder and to be, the world says success looks like this, but God, that we will be successful in the areas that matter in the end that we can be people full of life as you want us to be alive in you. Will you help us to be with you, God, because you love us and you find great delight when we remain in you. All this we ask in Jesus' name. The church says together, amen. Have a great week, church, and God bless you. Remain in the vine.